Good afternoon. Welcome to the Emotional Recovery Relationships Workshop meeting. My name is Patty. I am a compulsive overeater and the moderator for this meeting. Please join me in. Hi, everyone. Please join me in the Serenity Prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom know the difference. Before we get started, we ask that all cell phones or other electronic equipment be turned off. Even if you think it's off, please make sure. B, the session is being taped. All participants are required to sign the release form. C, to protect our anonymity, no photography, audio, or visual recording is allowed. The opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. E, please remember OA members affiliated with related facilities or other 12-step programs are requested to speak on their recovery in the OA program only. An Ask It basket will be circulated for the question and answer portions of this session. And if there is any press in the room, please respect our anonymity by not taking any pictures using a video camera or using our full names. And uh, also, I'd like to announce that there is a silent auction and boutique. Um, they're going on upstairs in the Scalini room. And um, with that, we will go ahead and start with our panel. And the format of this session is as follows. Three speakers will share for 20 minutes each, followed by questions and answers. An Ask It Basket will be passed around. Please place your questions in the box for our panelists. So the topic of this session, again, is emotional recovery and relationships. And our first speaker is Michelle. Okay. Hi, I'm Michelle, and I am definitely a compulsive reader. Okay, and this is home. So I never, ever, ever thought I would speak at a workshop. And I've been in 26 years last month. And um, it was always scary for me to think of doing this. And, and I realize all I have to do is tell my story, and I can't really mess that up. So, um, so I got in here 26 years ago. I was 20 years old, two weeks before my 21st birthday. And I got abstinent at the first meeting. I don't know why, other than I was at step one. And my absence is no sugar and no binging. And, and I had to make my absence gentle because I wanted to beat myself up with food. And that, that's a lot of my disease, and a lot of my disease was self-hate. So um, for my emotional part of the topic, I picked this topic because I thought, oh, boy, I have a lot to say on this topic. Um, because without the food, I wanted people to fill that void that food did. So I was quite dysfunctional in relationships as a result because I would look for you, and I would grab on to you, and I would talk to you about all my problems because in a way that's what we do. Hey, let me tell you about what I'm suffering with. But I wasn't really in the mindset of the solution yet. I didn't really get that. It was more, oh, my God, I have the freedom to tell you how hurt I am and how difficult it is to live without the food. Um, because no sugar, no binging put enough parameters on my food because I ate all day long um, and I ate large amounts of food that I was very, very anxious. And um, 
I mean, I had my feelings while I was in the food, but they were pretty much self-hate and depression. Those were kind of the two. But the wall food had, I didn't realize until I got abstinent. And when, when I had parameters, it was like, oh, my God, now I have all my feelings. And what do you do with that? So I went to a lot of meetings. I went to um, conventions. I went to retreats. I did lots of stuff because it took a lot for me to not eat. Um, my family didn't understand it. I came in at, at a normal weight. Um, I, I had one successful diet experience. I, don't tell me why. I have no idea. I cheated my whole way through it. Um, but I was ready to eat when I got here. and Because I didn't know, how do you maintain? That's not the goal. The goal is to lose weight. And then what do you do? You eat. So I really didn't know how to live without food. Um, so for me... It took me a long time in program to realize I can have a feeling and not want to eat. That probably took five years for that automatic feeling food thought to go away and to lessen. Um, the other part that I didn't realize was my truth was coming up. And I was dating an alcoholic at the time, and we had several breakups in the in the two year, my first two years of program. And when we would... And I couldn't break up with him, because how do you do that? So he would say, let's get married. I would say, mm, not ready yet, because I couldn't say, I don't want to marry you. Um, and he would break up, and then I would immediately gain a little bit of weight. I'm sorry, I would lose a little bit of weight, because I, w- I was at my truth. And I knew in my heart, it was like, okay, this is true. We're not supposed to be together. And then, four months later, couldn't stand the feelings, had to get back together with him. Boom, a little bit of weight came back on. And I knew because I took back the lie. So that was my first experience in program to realize, wow, my, without the food, I am beginning to know my truth. And I had no idea what that was. Um, so when you don't know your truth, it's really hard to be in a relationship. Um, because, so how I did it is I was really people-pleasing. If I could be what you wanted me to be, and if you liked me and wanted to hang out with me, then I would be okay and this emptiness would go away. It never worked. <laughs> but I chased it pretty hard. Um, I just, I didn't know the problem was me until I don't know how many fourth steps later. <laughs> and I finally realized, oh my God, I am chasing people to be with me. Because I can't, I can't stand myself. And so... I still hated myself. I would have tons of shame attacks at the gym. Even though I was at a normal weight, my, I, I would sit in the chair and my thighs would spread and I would just cringe. Like, I am never going to be thin. And, and that self-hate was pretty strong um, for a really long time. It was kind of my new best friend in program. I hate to say that. But I didn't come in here, get abstinent, get happy. I came in here, got abstinent, and got into the pain of why I was eating the 20 years before. So, and this is just my story. Everybody else has a different different one. But um, for me, there was just a lot of self-hate with my body and who I was. And I didn't really know who I was until I started really telling the truth. And I, that took probably, I, I hate to admit, 10, 15 years in program before I really, I, I did enough four steps to realize, okay, I keep thinking it's them. I keep thinking if I attract better people, I'm going to be okay. Well, 
how I was doing relationship is I would I would start a relationship. I would ask 20 million questions of you because I wanted to get to know you, but I set precedent. So the other person got used to it being all about them. And so I was like, uh-oh, how do I reverse it to me? Well, I didn't want to reverse it to me because I hated myself, so I don't want to talk about myself. So I made it about them. But then the resentment would leak out, and I'd be like, where's mine? I'm not getting my needs met. Well, I didn't know how to get my needs met because I wasn't telling the truth. I wasn't saying, hey, this is me. This is who I am. I was way too ashamed to tell you who I was. Um, and slowly that started to change when I started. I did a four-step, and my sponsor at the time said, I really want you to look at your patterns. And that was a big light bulb, like, oh, my God, I am not only doing this with one person. I am doing this across the board with everybody. And that's when I knew the problem was me. And so I slowly started realizing I've got to start telling the truth. And that meant, ouch, you hurt my feelings. That meant I'm hurt that you didn't call me right back, even though in my head I'm thinking this is stupid. You shouldn't have to say that. This is, you know, I'm just being overly sensitive. I had to say that stuff because that's what I wanted to eat over. And that's what, you know, I am... Even today, I mean, I'm, I'm a very connecting person. I like, I like being with people. I like having lots of friends. That's who I am. I'm an extrovert. So that's not necessarily going to change. But I had to realize that if I was going to keep lying, I was never going to get what I wanted. Um, the other part with relationships, so it was the self-hate and the people-pleasing. But the other part was my expectations, you're supposed to call me back within an hour or two of me calling you. <laughs> well, that's pretty unrealistic. But in my head, I was so needy and so starved without the food. I didn't know another. I didn't know what else to do in program. I just would keep latching on to people and try, try a different person, try, try a different friendship. Um, and I burnt people out. I mean, I. It took me a long time. I think I had one kiss off letter in OA. And, uh, and at the time, it really hurt. But now I look back and go, eh, yeah, I was pretty needy, you know. I, but it took me a really long time to be able to see that and not beat myself up over it um, because we all do the best we can. And I tried really hard in this program for the 26 years. I did lots of outside stuff, inside stuff. And some of this stuff was like a snail pace at growth. And that's just the way it is. Sometimes I have... Like, my abstinence, great. I got it right off the bat. Had to switch food plans several times and, you know, refining it. But then there's other issues like the self-hate that probably took 15 years until I got pregnant with my son that it really started to loosen up. Um, so to me, it's progress, not perfection. I, there's not a race. I don't have to. Because when I first came into the program, I saw people 10 years into recovery, and I thought, oh, my God, they have everything. I'm going to be so happy when I'm 10 years. Because I saw them. They were on the board. They were thin. They were happy. They were, they were connecting with everybody in a way. And I wanted that. Um, but that wasn't my path. My path 10 years in was I was knee-deep in ACA issues. <laughs> and I was really upset. And my life wasn't where I wanted. But it was a hell of a lot better because I wasn't eating. And I had you. So I felt like even though my life wasn't exactly where I wanted it, I had the container to get it. And I knew if I just keep coming back, I would get that next piece of recovery and that next better relationship. And, 
and I did. I, I slowly got, um, for me, my relationships got better when my, when my expectations got more realistic. Now, I really don't have a lot of expectations with my friends. Thank you. Um, because that's really dangerous for me. If I expect you to be there for me, forget it. I'm already gone. I'm already negative in my head. But if I don't have any expectation and trust that you love me and we're going to connect when we connect because people are busy, um, I get pleasantly surprised. But I can't use people like I did food. And that took me a really long time. And, and I can't tell you how many times I beat my head up against the wall learning that lesson. Um, but it just doesn't work. I had to have a relationship with me first. And when people would say that in the beginning, I'd be like, shut up. I don't want to hear that. <laughs> I, I just don't. It's like I didn't understand. How do you have a relationship with yourself if you hate yourself? Tell me how you do that. And I was really mad. Um, and that's why I couldn't have a relationship with myself. I just had to keep coming back. And I just kept having to admit, you know what? I still hate myself. I'm still seeing the negative. I still hate my body. I still blah, 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 blah. Um, but eventually, it started loosening its grip. And it was like, oh, wow. Like when I, when I was pregnant, I realized codependent reason, but I was no, I, my body was for someone else now. And it shifted how I saw my body. And I am so grateful for that because that was the beginning of me realizing that my body is what it is. I'm never going to be super thin. I'm never going to have thin thighs. I'm never going to blah, blah, blah. I don't really care. I'm healthy. I can walk. You know, I mean, that's what's important. And I got to give birth to my son. So that was a real win for me. Um, let me see. Oh, the other thing about the fourth step I want to talk about, because that really was the turning point, is I think part of the reason why my first several <laughs> didn't really get to it is because I, so I do the big book column, which is, you know, what do you resent? And I went to town on the what do you resent? Okay? I mean, I just listed every single thing. This is how I feel about it. This is all my vomit. <sighs> Go. And then what does it affect? Well, you know, it affected my self-esteem. It affected my relationships. I didn't really understand that piece, but I wrote it anyway. But the third part was what is my part was pretty bare. Because <laughs> I didn't think I had a part. I was so codependent. I thought, I'm nice. What am I doing wrong? <laughs> I mean, really, I didn't get it until I started, you know, doing the same dance probably a hundred times and realized, okay, wait a minute, I'm the one doing this here. And when I started to realize I am asking them 20 questions and I'm not letting them get to know me, I'm not taking my five minutes uh, and telling them about me. When I started seeing that stuff, that's when it started to change, when I really got to see what am I doing that is not working and I needed a lot of outside help to get there um, and sponsors. But, but the fourth step really, really did help me with that because once I saw my part, that's when I started to forgive myself a little bit more. I started to realize I do have some power in the situation because if I change me, then God is going to change the rest. Um, and that really, I don't know, that just seemed to loosen it. Um, I got married I guess five years into the program, and that marriage didn't work out, mainly because I chose him for very superficial reasons. He was a nice guy. He was stable. But that was how I picked five years into the program. I didn't know how to pick people. I still hated myself. Not a good time to pick. <laughs> um, so 
what was it? So six years ago, I picked again, and I picked someone in Al-Anon, and we're best friends. And I knew the second time what I wanted because I knew what I had to offer. And that was the missing equation. Instead of, I need to be with someone to fill me up because I'm not okay, it was, wait a minute, you know what? I am okay. I know my faults. I know I'm a pain in the butt in some areas, but I'm really giving and generous and fun. So all of that I can pretty much accept. And I can look for somebody based on who I am today. I didn't try to look like a Barbie because I'm not. I didn't, I didn't try to be someone I'm not. I just was like, here I am. So I think, you know, I know self-acceptance isn't the topic. It's definitely relationships and emotional recovery. But that was the key for me having both, is I had to really get to the point where I had to stop beating myself up because that is such a huge part of my disease, and it's just not, it doesn't get me anywhere. And if I go there today, I know, okay, that's my disease, that's not me. And I have to really clearly make that distinction. Um, How am I doing on time? Wow. Well, you know what? I think I'm going to give my minutes away, because I think I'm done. (laughs) So thank you. Thank you, Michelle. Our next speaker is Greg Lane. I'm going to ask for a volunteer. My, my fellow male companion, not only companion in that sense, <laughs> married and all that stuff. Just ask me. Don't get the wrong impression. Those are my pictures. Hi, I'm Greg. I'm a compulsive eater from Phoenix, Arizona. At this very second, I am not in emotional recovery in my relationship. So let's get it taken care of, finished, out of the way so I can start my talk. I am going to do a 10th step in front of all of you people relating to my wife because I need to stay in emotional recovery so I don't compulsively stuff myself at dinner tonight. That's why I'm in OA, to stop compulsively overeating. And I need to stay in emotional recovery in my relationships because guess what? What makes me feel better if I'm not in emotional recovery, if I'm not working in the program? What substance makes me feel better? Can anyone guess? Food, right? It works. Doesn't food make you feel good for a moment or two? It works for me anyway. Those little round cookies with the white in the middle, it's perfect. So here's my 10th step. This is part of the thing that I'm going to talk about. So I figured, okay, let's get it out of the way. The 10th step on page 84 in the big book is one paragraph. I call it my first aid step, especially when it comes to relationships. So the first thing I need to do is to continue to watch for certain things when they come up. I have to watch for what? Selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. This has come up this afternoon. I asked my wife, we're here together, can you find something interesting, touristy, fun to do in the area 
for us, maybe if we do it tonight or tomorrow or whatever. And she said, sure. So I checked a little while ago. She hadn't done it. So I had some selfishness there because I asked her to do something, and that immediately means that that's what my wife should do. Is anyone in a relationship here that when they tell somebody else what to do, they should do it? (laughs) Hopefully sooner rather than later? That has bred a little bit of resentment for me. Okay. Do I have any fear? Maybe. Maybe she's trying to say, hmm, I don't know if I want to go out with Greg tonight. Maybe I'll have more fun here, or maybe I'll want to be with some other people, or maybe I'm sick and tired of being with him, or something like that. Who knows? I can make up anything, right? What does fear stand for? False evidence appearing real. I'm really good at that. That's one of my specialties. Dishonesty. Maybe I'm dishonest, and maybe what I'm telling her is that I'm bored with you unless you find something exciting for both of us to do. So that stuff is going on inside me at the moment. Now, I can ignore it, right? Well, hell with it. Sweep it under the rug tonight, no big deal. I'm not going to stuff myself tonight because of it. But what happens if I do the same thing tomorrow when some other little thing comes up in my relationship to, to, to impact my emotional recovery? And then the next day, and the next day. Guess what? I did that for 21 years in my first marriage. Divorced in 2002. We have two beautiful daughters, 30 and almost 28. I did that for 21 years. And I know better now. I want to go to bed tonight with a clean conscience, feeling good. Getting back to the 10th step. When these things come up, I ask God at once to remove them. So God, please remove these defects from me right now. Why? So I can have more fun tonight? No, so I can be of usefulness to other people. Because if I'm in my own stuff, I'm of no use to anyone I'm in a relationship with. I'm just thinking about me and my own needs being met. So I have to ask God to remove these things at once so I could be more useful. The next thing is we discuss them with someone immediately. Again, this is page 84. It's nice to have a little instruction book to go by. It makes my life a lot easier. Discuss them with someone immediately. Well, does this qualify? Okay. Totally embarrassing myself in front of 50 people. All women, almost all women. Absolutely. So that counts. And then the next thing is make amends if I've harmed anyone. So afterwards, I will go up to her and say, you know, I was, I was a little huffy, puffy, whatever. I know you're busy with something else, so I'm sorry if I came off that way. Something simple like that. And then the last part is we turn our thoughts to somebody we can help. Maybe, and here's a wild thought, I can ask her what she might want to do. Can you imagine a guy asking a woman what they might want to do? Has that ever occurred before? Okay, good. <laughs> And then love and tolerance of others is my code. So the topic today is emotional recovery. And how could I have spoken about it if I myself felt disconnected in that sense? That is my 10th step. Already I feel better, honestly. I feel better because now I've got a plan that I can make amends. I can be less selfish. I can be helpful to other people, hopefully. It's all about emotional recovery in this program for me. 
I came into OA in 2006. I didn't become absent, though, until December of 2008. I'm maintaining a 55-pound weight loss. I'm at my healthy body weight. I think there's some photos going around for my heaviest body weight. The first meeting I came into, I knew this was the place for me. There was a woman sitting on the other side of the table who I thought was attractive, and she said, it's all about relationships. That's what she said. I said, damn right. If my wife only did what she wanted, if I wanted her to do, I wouldn't be stuffing myself this way. So I absolutely agreed with this woman. She said it's all about relationships. But remind me if I don't correct that a little bit for me before I finish my... So if somebody reminds me, there's one letter I want to drop in what she just said. It's all about relationships. But remind me if I forget to say that. Before my relation, before recovery, before December 2008, my relationship was with food. In my first marriage of 21 years, I had, and I, again, I don't know if I should get so personal in front of a room like this. Somebody, people say, save it for your sponsor, whatever. I had many, many affairs in my first marriage. Almost nonstop. They weren't with people, though. It was with food. That's where my emotional attention was focused, was on the food. Food replaced my wife. It replaced other people. That was my emotional connection, was with food. After, so this is the difference before and after for me, it's not even about my emotional relationship with my wife. It's food or my higher power. Those are the two things on the scale of my life. If I can focus now on getting that better relationship with my higher power, the food almost takes care of itself. Once I'm done with the craving for the sugar, the white flour, those type of things, once I have that out of my system, like the big book says in the doctor's opinion, we need to, well, we're talking about alcoholics, of course, we need to uh, perhaps be hospitalized to get that stuff out of our system. Well, obviously, in this program, at least for most of us, we didn't need to be hospitalized. But once I became absent, December of 2008, I haven't had a bite of dessert since December of 2008. I haven't had a bite of junk food since December 2008, which is a miracle because I lived for that stuff. That was my relationship, right? Now, I have to focus on my relationship with my higher power. And then the other stuff falls into place, including the relationship with my wife. Right? I just did the 10th step, which is the way I do it, the 10th step. And it brings God into it. The purpose of the 10th step for me is to reconnect to my relationship with my higher power. And what my higher power want me to do, he'd want me to make amends, and help other people. So again, it's that connection for me with my higher power. Fortunately, I have instructions in this little blue book I carry around that tells me how to do that. Step 12, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of the steps. We've read that. Step 11, improve my conscious contact, conscious contact with God. Step 10, correct things as I go along. 
These are all the things that allows, allow me to maintain that relationship with my higher power. I try to focus when I speak or when I'm just sharing with someone or when I'm sponsoring, whatever, on the solution, not the problems that led me into OA. Yes, I had this with my father and this with my mother and my mother did this and my sister. Those were all the excuses and my first wife did that. All the excuses that I used to justify my eating. If you lived the way I did and grew up with the parents I had, you would eat too. Has anyone ever can, can relate to that, right? You would eat too. There's no question about it. First, now my daughters say, Dad, I'm this way because of you. <laughs> so I don't know where they got that idea from. I don't know. Steps 10, 11, and 12 are the solution. And I wear this bracelet, which I got at one of the retreats, living in the solution one day at a time. That is how I maintain emotional recovery in my relationship with my wife, my kids, but even more importantly, with my higher power. Because that's what keeps me out of the food. What if I could feel good inside and not need to feel good from chocolate? What if I already had that feeling that the food gives me? What type of feeling does the food give me? The book says that sense of ease and comfort, which comes at once from eating the pizza. My God, how wonderful is that? Instantaneous relief from the food. It's fantastic. Well, what happens if I didn't need that instantaneous relief from the food? If I already felt good already? Isn't that wonderful? That, to me, is what abstinence is, is feeling good already having the craving out of my system and feeling good already so that I don't need to grab for that whatever when I'm angry at my wife because she's not making travel plans today, which is what I wanted her to do. She probably wants me to do the same thing. Anyway, we'll fight about it later. But um, emphasizing steps 10, 11, and 12 is the key for my emotional recovery. Step 10 I just did. That's my first aid step. I do that during the day. Typically, I'll do it on the telephone with somebody, or people will call me with it. That's to keep my day going clean. And the reason I have to do that is there's another paragraph in the big book on page 86. When we retire at night, we constructively review our day. Step 10 is how many paragraphs in the big book? One. When we retire at night is how many paragraphs in the big book? One. Those are the two keys for me to staying emotionally in, uh, emotion, in emotional recovery. And step 11 simply asks me, and I do this every night. I have a bookmark that I made with step 11 on it. I do some spiritual reading in the evening. It falls on my lap. This bookmark falls on my lap so I don't forget. I used to try to remember to do step 11 before I went to bed at night, and I would always be too tired. I really didn't feel like looking at my day when I'm about to go to sleep. So this bookmark falls on my lap. was my greatest invention ever. Yeah. Greatest invention ever. The other greatest invention I also have in my pocket, by the way, for emotional recovery. It's called a Bluetooth earpiece. 
which means I can be on the phone all the time in OA, and nobody even knows it. Sometimes I'm on the phone, on my cell phone, listening to a meeting, or what, and my wife is talking to me too. That's great, another great technique. Then I don't have to listen to her while she speaks. I can just be listening to a meeting. I'll fight about that later. So step 11, was I resentful, selfish, dishonest, or afraid? What does that sound like? What other step does that sound like? Step 10, have you been listening? Right, step 4 and step 10. So it's asking me, Greg, did you do step 10 at 2 o'clock in the afternoon when th- something came up? I could answer yes or no. Do I owe an apology? Hmm. Have we kept something to ourselves? Which should we discuss with another person? Were we kind and loving? What could we have been done better? Were we thinking of ourselves most of the time? Or we were thinking of others, what we could pack into the stream of life? After we make our review, we ask for God's forgiveness and listen for what corrective measures I can take. I do that before I go to sleep. For me to stay in emotional recovery means for me to have a clean heart, so to speak, when I go to bed at night. Otherwise, I'll carry it over to the very next day, right? If there's stuff going on in me that I have not resolved, it'll carry on the next day. And I'm mostly talking about my wife here because that's the, I should say my relationship with my wife, that's where it manifests itself because it's always with the person closest to us where step 12 says, Practice these principles in all my affairs. It's very easy for me to practice the principles with all of you. It's even easy to practice it at work. It's easy to practice it in the yoga studio. It's easy to practice it in traffic. Where is it the hardest to practice? Where is the true test for me is in my relationship with my wife and my children. So that's where I focus. That's where I have to focus. And steps 10, 11, and 12 are what connect me to my higher power. I mentioned earlier that the lady in the first meeting I went to said it's all about relationships, and I thought she was right. Now, for me, I don't think she was right because it's all about relationship, singular to my higher power. If I can... Keep that strong no matter what happens during the course of the day. And my sponsor has me say this prayer. He says, um, God, help me to accept the happenings of today so that I may better do thy will. Because no matter what I plan for in the morning on awakening, things will happen that I don't expect. Does that ever happen to anybody else where things happen during the day that are not planned for? Right? It's happened once or twice, right, to some of us. Every hour, I have to be have the the skills. It's the way I look at it. I'm an accountant by training, so I, I try to make things very concrete for me. Plus, I'm a guy, and we're not so smart as the rest of you. Uh, I truly believe that. Anyway, so step eleven, step ten keeps me in emotional uh, recovery as it goes as my day goes along. Step eleven on retiring at night, and then the next paragraph below that says on awakening. Again, one paragraph, what I need to do, and then there's some discussion about indecision during the course of the day. Step 10, step 11, and step 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, what's next? Try to carry the message 
to those that still suffer. That's why I'm standing up here today. And to practice the principles in all my affairs. I try to work a 12-step program, not 11.5. Not an 11.5-step program. The only way I can get to that last part of the 12-step is by, one, uh, staying abstinent from the foods that will trigger the craving, and two, practicing the principles in all my affairs, using the tools to help me. This is not a 12-tool program, in my opinion. I really try to focus, for me, on the steps. I use the tools to help me, and I use all the tools every single day. Every single day. I go to five meetings a week. I even add in a phone meeting one or twice, once or twice a week. Food plan, exercise, all the others, all the other stuff. Literature every single day, writing every single day. Emotional recovery in relation relationships, which is what this topic is today. My focus is on staying in recovery with my higher power. Because then I feel good inside. And I don't look for something outside to make me feel good. Because what makes me feel good outside will trigger the allergic reaction and the binging, and we all know the, the result of that, right? What's going to stop me from wanting that feel-good substance? It's to feel good already with a connection to what I call my higher power. God, and I'll pass, and I'm done. Thank you, Greg. And now we will have Gabrielle. I'm Gabrielle, and I'm a food addict. And I really came to OA because in Australia we have nationalized medicine, and I was about to get diabetes, and the doctor explained what that meant in great detail, and it freaked me out. And he said I had to quit sugar and junk, fruit, uh, junk food. And I'm going, well, what do I eat then? <laughs> you know, it's like... Whoop. Anyway, he also told me that I could be addicted to some of these foods and that I may have problems keeping off them. So go to Overeaters Anonymous. And I went, okay. And um, the first thing I noticed when I got abstinent in OA is that um, there are different forces in my life. Like the passion for my work screams loud. My sex drive when I'm attracted to someone and I want to date them screams loud. When um, I want food and I'm addicted to it, it screams loud. But spirit whispers. And so I've got to give it time for its messages to come through. My relationship with my higher power cannot be this intense, screaming, loud thing like work passion and dating crazy and food addiction. 
The spiritual realm is quiet. And um, that kind of freaked me out because I'm one of those intense, you know, people. If I have a conversation, I'm there, you know. But um, my relationship with my higher power is quiet, you know. It can't be intense. Like, come on, tell me, what's the next step? (laughs) I have to wait for it. And I have to be in a calm state to receive what I'm supposed to receive. Wow. So anyway, I had to learn meditation and all of those things. And I had to take the food addiction out of the formula of one of my screaming things. Because I'm in OA, you know. I had to create a plan of eating and a discipline to keep it in place so that when the screaming for it happened, you know, there was a safe way to deal with it, one of which is to go to meetings and, you know, call the sponsor and do all of that stuff, including the steps. So then I was left with... Screaming passion for work and screaming dating. (laughs) And this is about relationships. So what's fascinating to me when I did the fourth step is that, you know, one screaming thing overrides everything else. So if I'm really attracted to someone, I wasn't really into the food that much. And um, I wasn't into you know, what I was doing at work that much, I was into you, and it was really intense, and I'd do anything to be with you, and um, and then, of course, I'd be starving, you can't cheat nature <laughs> too long, you know, I'd be starving for food, because I wasn't eating very much of that, so then I'd go on a binge and lose my sex drive, oops, And then I thought, I lost interest in you. And so sabotage the relationship. And so this sort of cycle started to become very obvious when when I didn't do that anymore. When I did not scream and binge with the food, I'm going, oh my God. I'm still attracted to this person, but I don't know if they're the right person. You know, I was so busy with the sexual drive that I didn't look and see if we were compatible. You know, apparently being compatible is really important. (laughs) You know, it's really funny. In my early days in OA, I got into OA 30 years ago, maybe more, in Australia, and um, (laughs) no one talked about sex except me, you know, I'm the one totally obsessed with, you know, um, this sex drive that comes up when I don't eat everything under the sun, Um, and I know they identified with me, but, you know... (laughs) (laughs) They were a bit prudish about it, so they didn't say anything. They just let me ramble. (laughs) And um, anyway, (laughs) what was hilarious about it is I'm really good at getting into relationships, but then I go, oops, what do I do now? You know, now I'm in it. 
and I discover all these things, you know, and good thing I'm in a 12-step program. Um, you know, in the long term, I have learned that, you know, you got to take your time to know if they're compatible, you know, as well as being sexually attractive. If they're not sexually attractive, then they're a friend, right? <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> That was the long-term discovery. But in the meantime, you know, I uh, abstinently am getting involved with people and I discover things about myself, you know. I don't like being told what to do. Hmm. Who knew? I used to just binge. I used to just binge and not do it. So now I'm going, hmm, I get huffy. And, you know, after 30 years, I still don't like it. Um, but I have learned to deal with it better. First of all, I don't date people that tell you what to do. You know, that's a good one, isn't it? People who are communicative, they don't tell you what to do. They communicate how they feel and what they would like, but they don't tell you what to do. What a concept, dating healthy people and getting involved with healthy people. So um, I didn't like being told what to do, and I knew I couldn't binge over it. So trying to communicate that when you're in it, you know, in a reaction, um, is not a good idea. Because I do not find the right words I do not find the right way, even if I find the right words, you know, when I've often written down what I want to say. But even if I have the right words, I don't say it right, you know. I might as well say, forget you, I never want to see you again. Um, I'm abstaining from swearing, by the way. So, um, <laughs> so... So what I discovered is that when I'm in a triggered reaction, which is what happens, especially when I'm sexually attracted to someone and I'm in a relationship with them, I seem to get more triggered by them than anybody else. It's like being intoxicated. Nothing comes out right, ever, for me who's very intense about everything. So when I'm off-kilter and intense, it's more off-kilter than the average person. And I just have to know that about myself. And so I have learned now to say, um, I'm having a reaction. I don't understand it. It probably has nothing to do with you. Give me a minute, you know. And I'll crawl out there, call my sponsor, who knows me really well, um, and reminds me, you know, of whatever it might be. And then I can calm down and sort of come back. It's very important to come back and have that conversation. You don't just disappear and never talk about it again. That ruins relationships, by the way. Um, I have discovered, you know, because I have amnesia. Once I've dealt with a uh, situation, I'm good. <laughs> no need to communicate. Well, that doesn't work in relationships. So what I do is I go back and I'm in my right mind and I can sit down and communicate. You know, I can say, you know, when these words are used, 
you know, something happens in me and I get triggered and I misinterpret everything you might be saying. And I misinterpret your intention. So let's start the conversation again and maybe use different words. You know? And that has worked remarkably. It's amazing. And so I've been able to go deeper in relationships. Now, remember, self-discovery and doing better with interactions still does not mean I'm with someone that's compatible. I have gotten involved for years with people working the program, doing great and learning how to communicate better under different circumstances, blah, 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 and still find out that I'm not with a compatible person, you know? It's like, like I said, you can't cheat nature, you know? Nature will always rise to the top, no matter how much you avoid seeing the truth, no matter how much I work my program and deal with all the things that are out of kilter, you know, not quite right. I'm an adjuster, you know. I can use the program to adjust to anything I want. And that is a really big defect of character that I have. And so now, when um, I start seeing people and they go, wow, you're really cautious. And I go, no, I'm not cautious. I just like to take my time. And taking time may not seem as exciting as it once was, you know, that flicker of sexuality and, you know, the explosion, and then you discover who you each are, you know. I don't do that anymore because I find that my sexuality has changed with my spirituality. Now that I take time to meditate and be with myself and get to know where I'm at, which changes over time. You know, I don't stay the same. I'm growing and changing, and where I'm at changes. So as my connection with spirit gets stronger, what turns me on sexually with people has changed. I am more turned on by people who can be more independent with me rather than glom on to this energy that is explosive and then what, you know? It's interesting. And I didn't expect that to happen because, you know, you sort of think you know what you're attracted to and then you keep going for it, wondering why it doesn't work (laughs) over and over and over again. So, it has really opened me up, and what I've noticed is the more I find compatibility, the more sexually attracted I am. And it's one of those things that grows rather than starts off explosive and disappears. (laughs) You know, I don't know if anyone's been in a long-term relationship that ends up not being that sexual, you know. And 
uh, I've been in those. Where, like, what happened? Are we best friends or are we, you know, waiting for something to bring us back to explosion? I don't know. <laughs> Nobody really talks about it that much. So what I've discovered is that now that I'm connected with myself and my higher power or God, the universe, whatever anyone wants to call it, I spend a lot of time in that realm. And so that makes me more compatible as a human being on the planet rather than this addictive creature that's looking for explosions, whether it's, you know, work-related explosions, sexual explosions, you know, food explosions. I'm now compatible with the human race, basically. I'm not this addict looking for, you know, that... I'm now a human being wanting to connect. And the sexuality follows. You know, it's all part of the formula of being human. It's not the thing to hunt down. It's the thing that happens when it's compatible. And I'm going, nah, I would never have believed that if I didn't experience it. No way. Because I was born an addict, I was going to die an addict. And I didn't even care what I was addicted to, as long as I had the explosion. Pity about after the explosion is such a disappointment. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I could be an addict forever if it worked. But unfortunately, it doesn't work. And I have a feeling that addiction was not meant to be part of being human. I think it's being, you know, off kilter or something. And um, so anyway, what's amazing to me is, you know, when I first came out uh, gay in 1966, it was a hush-hush thing. And I put on 20 pound. And, you know... I wanted, yay, the explosion, only to discover my explosion was not very welcome in the world. Now, my parents are European and don't speak English very well. I went home and said, guess what? I'm a lesbian. And they went, that's nice. They didn't know what it meant. And so I thought I had their support, so therefore I went out there, you know, telling everyone, and um, no one was really very welcoming. So without knowing it, I was picking up everyone else's feelings and absorbing that into my body. And so my body had to be bigger to absorb all of your stuff. And so I have come to know the other part of me, which is very sensitive to what's going out there. Now, that is a fantastic attribute for the work arena, not very good in the personal arena. So what's an attribute in one and is a liability in the other? So it's very interesting. 
So I have to desensitize myself in personal relationships, not to take things too personally, to communicate, did you really mean that, or are you sure that attitude is final, you know, (laughs) about these kinds of things. You know, when the gay marriage thing started, you know, every, all, every homophobe started coming out, and I'm sort of freaking out. The only way to handle it was to go to five gay prides, you know, <laughs> to sort of get my gay on again. <laughs> it was almost like going to a meeting. <laughs> so, you know, I have found ways to deal with who I am and what that reaction is. And I'm finding that it's not just the gay issue that people react to. It's my personality. You know, my mother never liked my hair. You know, there's always something out there that doesn't like who you are. And should that matter? Nah. Is If it's a big deal, I could change it, you know, if I wanted to. But I don't have to. So the internal process is the most important. And it's good to notice the external process to see how I want to deal with that. And being in a relationship certainly is a journey. And to maintain the balance of sexuality, of emotional connection, um, enough separation in order to want to be together is magic. So thank you. Thank you, Gabrielle. I will now draw questions from the Ask It basket for our panelists. The first question is, if you're not in a relationship, how do you use recovery to help you accept that and live fully in the moment? Does anybody want to? And what is Live fully in the moment. (laughs) I'm sort of not in a relationship. I'm dating around. Um, You know, the thing is, the real relationship really is with my higher power. And, And so... Relationships with people fall into place in a weird sort of way. So if I'm not with someone, that is probably a good thing because it can be a time of learning how to be there for other people. I have a number of close friends, and I practice being intimate emotionally with them But I also have to have boundaries that I don't use them as the same intimacy with lovers. See, that's emotional cheating. You can't have a best friend that is like a lover emotionally if they're not a lover. And um, I've been caught up in that as the best friend of someone in a couple who can't connect emotionally with their partner, and I end up being their emotional relationship. And when I learned that in the program, I said, ooh, I do that to others, and she's doing that to me. And so if I have boundaries around that, then I am more ready to be in a relationship because I am not 
using substitutes, you know? Just like food is a substitute for a relationship, I can't use people as a substitute for relationships. Okay, the next question is, how to deal with relationship problems between you and your sponsor when the two of you are friends outside of OA? I don't ask a friend outside of OA to sponsor me. Can you talk about your experience of emotions before recovery and now after and or your relationship with your emotions? My emotions before my recovery were pretty uh, watered down. And like I said, they were only two, self-hate and depression. I didn't have anger at all because I was so people-pleasing, I couldn't get to it. Um, But after, and it was immediately after, (laughs) um, I had a ton. But I didn't know what to do with them, and that's why I needed so many meetings, especially the first couple years, because... They were happy, sad, frustrated, angry. I mean, they were popping up all over the place, and I couldn't keep up with them because that's when I knew, oh, my God, this is what I'm eating over. I had no idea I had that many emotions. And it probably took me five years in the program to get to anger because I was not going to be angry. I grew up with angry women. Thank you very much. Not going to be one. So I stayed in the depression category because that was comfortable. Um, so yeah, for me, it was like the glasses came off and all of a sudden I felt them full force. So they're very, very different when you're abstinent. Um, and I couldn't run away from them. I had to deal with them immediately or else I was going to pick up the food. Hope that helps. Any program advice for someone getting ready to move in with their boyfriend? Check each other's furniture to see if you're compatible. That's <laughs> oh, my God. Well, um, something I learned is that I'm an extrovert and adventurous in life, and I have plenty of practice doing that. And being involved with someone who's an introvert who seeks comfort and safety and security um, really shows up once you move in together. You know, because someone like me is exciting to someone who is safe and doesn't really do much because it seems exciting, and to them it's They think it's temporary. (laughs) For me, it's a lifestyle, (laughs) and it kind of freaks them out. So these are the kinds of conversations you have to have. You know, do you like to live in the country or um, in the middle of the city? 
and don't compromise by living in the suburbs because neither of you will be happy. You know, these things really matter. If you like cats or dogs, I mean, these are conversations that seem boring but are the things that will make or break living together. If you're messy or, you know, super neat, get a house cleaner, you know, stuff like that. Um, and it's the kind of thing that I think religious organizations do. They have pre-marriage counseling, and I think that's the kind of thing that they talk about. You know, they're smart. They want their relationships to work, you know, whereas us in the program, we sort of think, oh, I've got a program of recovery. It's okay. We can work it out. Let's just throw ourselves together because we want to be together. And also, never move in because it's financially a good idea, because it never will be the best idea or reason for moving in together. I would rather be dirt poor living in my car than make that mistake ever again. And I'm going to add, look at your expectations. How do you think your life is going to change if you move in with this person? Because I thought my life was going to majorly change the first time I got married, and then I crashed. Because I, I had such a huge fantasy built up of, oh, I'm now married. That means X, Y, Z. And it didn't mean any of that. So um, I love what Gabrielle said. Have a ton of conversations and just watch your expectations. So I think the question was, uh, how would you handle moving in with your boyfriend? Mm -hmm. Or girlfriend. Or girlfriend. <laughs> I'm going to back up a little. Because and you, I've heard this all the time. There's a step for that. When I have some sort of uncomfortable feeling or something I don't know, anxiety about something, looking for advice because I'm... Afraid, resentful, something's going on inside me. That's where I pull in the program. So I can't give you advice. I'm not going to give you advice on furniture or, or any of that type of stuff. That's for sure. But here's what I would do in the situation. I have to ask myself, believe it or not, step 10 again. If I have some selfishness, resentment, dishonesty, or fear... If I look at my fourth step, what fears come out inside of me relating to moving in with this boyfriend? What does it bring up inside of me? What resentments do I still have hanging around from past experiences where I've had to live with someone? Or when I was growing up, what's... what's What's left unresolved? What, does, what comes up from that? It's not just what furniture I should buy. But what, are, what am I afraid of? Resentments to me are looking back. Fears are looking forward. That would be what's going on with me at that moment. I've got to look a little bit deeper and use the steps in the program because I guarantee you no matter what the situation is, whether it's moving in with a boyfriend or whether it's what car to buy, anything, 
the solution for me is going to be somehow bringing in my higher power into the decision. In order for that channel of communication to be clear, I've got to deal with the fears and the resentments. Otherwise, things will come up, and this fear will, will, will uh, poison the, whatever decision it is, I believe. And then I will be driven to the food. So even though I can't relate to the situation, specifically, it's all the same for me. And I'll pass. Okay, the next question is, when you know your son is unhappy in his present lifestyle, how do I continue a relationship without trying to change him? I'll repeat it. When you know your son is unhappy in his present lifestyle, how do I continue to have a relationship without trying to change him? You know, you accept him where he's at, and you might want to hit Alan on. <laughs> um, yeah, that's hard. I think it's really hard when family members are making choices that we don't agree with. Um, but for me, if my 15-year-old son were heading down a path, I would ask him what he needs from me and how can I help. But I don't think I would go into the, here's what I think you should do. Because um, I know at 15, I wouldn't have survived that. I would have said, see ya. Um, so I think it's a real test of our program to work our acceptance around where other people are at and to really accept that they have their own choices. And even when there are children, we really can't control the outcome. Um, but we can be the example, and we can show them love and, and ask them, what do you need? I don't know how to help you. I love you, you know. The next question is, explain, know your truth, please. Okay, so know my truth is, what do I think of something? Um, what's my opinion? I didn't know my opinion, or I knew my opinion, but I wasn't willing to tell you because I thought you wouldn't like it. And if you wouldn't like it, you wouldn't like me. Um, my gut, my intuition has really been honed in this program and I get a feeling in my gut when something's not right and it may take me a while well now it doesn't, now I know immediately oh, that's a no <laughs> um, but that's I think everybody has to learn how they recognize their own truth um, for me it's just a eh, I don't feel right about something something's not right so it's not time for me to make that decision um, I also had to do a lot of writing because if I was really upset and I didn't know what was, what was going on for me, I wrote about it. And then it all came out. <laughs> all the petty, all the judgmental, all that stuff. And then I got to know, oh, that's what's bothering me. Because the safety of the pen and paper, nobody was going to judge that. And sometimes I couldn't tell anybody. I had to really write it to really get to what my truth was. Um, because I think we all have our own truth and what bothers us and what we need and what works for us. And I think the key is to not judge ourselves for that, but to start practicing putting it out there. You know, what do you think about something? What's important to you, even if you think somebody else doesn't care about it? 
because it's not about the other person, it's about us. And for me, I know I'm in recovery if I can at least be honest. Um, and at first it was bumbling through it. You know, I didn't really know what my truth was, but I would say what I felt about something at a dinner party, and then I would beat myself up after. But you know what? It was my truth, and that was my practice. So there's always little, I think, opportunities for us to share um, what we think and what we feel and what's important to us. And that, to me, is how I developed my truth. Okay, the next question is, talk about your fears and how you were able to overcome and recover. Um, the doctor that told me about diabetes and sent me to OA did not tell me that one of the side effects of quitting sugar and junk food would be losing weight. And I lost uh, about 140 pounds, and my biggest fear was that I am no longer the same person. You know, I don't mean just the body, but my personality changed, you know. Um, And my biggest fear was, how am I going to be in the world this way? You know, I was very aggressive because um, sugar made me aggro, you know. And without it, I'm friendly, you know. Oof. And what do you do with that, you know, because people then want to talk to you. And what do you do with that? You know, that was my greatest fear in the beginning. I've gotten used to it after 30 years, of course, but <laughs> and I prefer being this way. But um, it was. It was huge because it was um, almost like I'm somebody else, you know, without being an addict for the food and using the drug and having all of, you know, getting high and going through withdrawals and hunting it down. I mean, it's like, I'm somebody else. I didn't even know what this was. And um, so that was very scary. So what I had to do is get to know who I am the way I get to know how other people are. And I would ask my friends, so what did you see me do and how did I react? Because I can't see it. So I got feedback. And my sponsor was um, really good at giving feedback. And that was great. So I got to know who I was through people in the fellowship. And that was great. And that helped a lot. Okay, the next question is, I'm having a very hard time saying, which are my needs? If I work with myself, I would stand up for myself in the future. I am just wondering, it works like that. Um, I am having a very hard time saying, which are my needs? If I work with myself, I would stand up for myself in the future. I am just wondering, it works like that. Um, 
the thing that stuck out to me in the question is I'm having a very hard time saying which are my needs. What I've what I try to focus on in the program is what are others' needs first. What can I do to, to be helpful to you? Uh, what, how can I serve other people in OA and outside of OA? Every morning I write down in my plan for the day, I write down specifically, who can I help today? I try to make a commitment to be helpful to somebody, to, to kind of remind myself. Who can I help today? The interesting thing about it is it's like going to a party and saying, not what I can get from it. Can I get my needs met by going out to this party? Well, what can I give to others at the party? Then my needs will be met sort of automatically. If I focus not on what my needs are, then and I focus on what somebody else's needs are. It's amazing how the good stuff comes back somehow. It's a different way of me looking at it, because for decades I was always focused on, I need to get my needs met. I need to be loved, and I needed people to do the things I wanted them to do. Now, I still do that, but now I've got steps to deal with it every day. So what, are, what does someone else need? How can I be helpful to them? And the last question today is, are you working other programs, 12-step, or therapy to help with your relationships? So that's... Um, that's it for the questions. It is now time to close this session. Let's thank our speakers and all who have done service for this session. Please stand and join hands as we close with the serenity prayer.